Well, let's pray together. I want to open up Hebrews as we move on through our series. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts up and to help me as I preach. So let's pray together. Thank you for this rich time we've already had, for your presence here through the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. And I need your help big time, Lord, in preaching this message today. Would you give me wisdom and uh, your heart? And would you open all of our hearts? We want to be responsive to your word, not mold your word to fit what we want, but to fit mold our lives to fit what you teach. And so I pray that you would give us all humble, open, responsive hearts to your word. Use this passage now to shape us here at Mercy Hill to be the church as, as you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to bring you a copy of the Bible so you can open up and look on with us. Really important you have a Bible in front of you. Hebrews 10 is on page 1007, at least the section of Hebrews 10 we're going to be looking at this morning. Page 1007 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Now here's what the author is going to talk about today. This is really powerful. In, in today's passage, he is going to give us a picture of church life that's going to be surprising for some of us to read, maybe even shocking for some of us. And the reason is because many people think that church is a meeting that you can go to or not go to, and whether you go or not doesn't make any difference. The meeting will be the same, that the meeting will function just the same whether you are there or not. So a lot of people think church is. But that's not what God says. God says the church is a group of people. It's a community of believers for whom each individual is essential for the proper functioning of the whole. It's a community that needs you in order to function the way God intended it to function. The Apostle Paul uses the example, uh, it says church is like a body, just like your body. Think of your body. Lots of different parts. Each one is essential for your body to function. So if you were here this morning, for example, and say your, I don't know, like your knee decided to sleep in this morning and isn't here this morning, right? You'd notice. It wouldn't be functioning quite as well as you would be had your knee decided to, to join you this morning, okay? That's, that's what church is like. Church means being part of a group of people who need you in order to function the way that they're supposed to. And that's what the author is going to tell us in this morning's passage, which is a surprising, maybe even shocking picture of what church is. But now, before we get there, I want to give you the big picture of what he's been saying, kind of what his train of thought has been up to this point. So in chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, in the first half of chapter 10, here's what he's been saying. We have the picture up. Next picture up. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, first half of chapter 10. What the author has been saying is a couple things. First of all, our biggest problem as human beings, is that we've sinned against God and faces judgment. Biggest problem. And the Old Testament taught that the only way we could be forgiven is if we have a perfect priest who can represent us before God with a perfect sacrifice that's paid for our sins. Need a perfect priest? Need a perfect sacrifice. This is what the Old Testament taught. All of humanity, we all see this. And what chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and the first half of chapter 10 teaches is that Jesus Christ 
is sent by God to be the perfect priest who offered up his life as the perfect sacrifice paying for our sins. So that's what five and a half chapters has all been developing. And then in verses 19 through 25 of chapter 10, the author brings us three big therefores. Because Jesus Christ is our perfect priest with a perfect sacrifice, therefore, let's look at him, verse 22, let us draw near to God. That is, you can have the joy of actually knowing God. Not just knowing about God, but you can know the living God. Feel his presence, experience his love, know his nearness. You can know God. So draw near to God. That's verse 22. Have you been doing that this week? Have you had times this week where you've set everything else aside and just draw near to God through Jesus and met him in the word? Have you had times where you've drawn near to God? Oh, church, this is... This is life. This is like our meat and potatoes. This is what it's all about. I was talking to Ben this morning, talking about how God's been pouring grace upon Ben as he's been seeking him. So it's all learned from Ben. Okay, that's the first therefore. Second therefore, let's hold fast to the confession of our hope. Talked about this, I think it was two weeks ago now, where we cling to God's promises. Keeps us from going over the Niagara Falls, right? That was the illustration we used. And God's promises are forgiveness of sins through Christ, He will help you with every problem you face, and he will reward you with himself forever. Those are the three main promises in this book that we're clinging to. That's verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope. So notice these first two therefores deal with our relationship with God. They deal with the vertical dimension. But this third therefore deals with how we relate to each other. Okay, shifted focus, God for the first two therefores. Now, here's how we relate to each other. Look at what he says in verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so how should we relate to each other? Read verse 24 again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, so just look at the people around you. Okay, look around, see? Go ahead, swivel your head. Look, look at the people around you. Okay, looking, take them all in. The author calls us to consider, that is to take time and think, how can you stir them up to love and good deeds. Okay, now, what are love and good deeds? We've got to figure that out to figure out how the stirring should go. What are love and good deeds? And we could come up with all kinds of ideas on our own, our own, what we think those words mean. But the best way to answer a question like that is to look at how the same author has used the word love and deeds or works in the same book. And I found one passage that really helped me understand what love and good works are. Look at chapter 6, verse 10 really helped me figure out what is love and what are good works. Hebrews 6, verse 10. A couple of pages to the left there. Here's what the author says. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, same word, and the love, same word, love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So here, the word love 
has to do with love for God's name. Love is love for God. Love is the vertical dimension of people's lives. That's, so love is loving God. And then notice that the word work has to do with serving people. So I think that's probably how he's using those same two words in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. So let's turn back there. And again, how should we relate to each other in the body of Christ? Look at chapter 10, verse 24 again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love, that's love for God, and good works, serving others. So I should consider, you should consider, we should be asking ourselves, how can I stir up other people to love God more? How can I stir the people around me to trust the Lord Jesus Christ more, to worship God more passionately, to get more time in the word and in seeking him? How can I stir up people to love God more? That's one question we ask. And the second question we ask is, how can I stir up people to serve others more? How can I do that? How can I stir people around me to love their husband or their wife more, to care for their kids more, to be more effective in parenting maybe? How could I, how could I stir them to, to love their brothers and sisters in Christ more? How could I stir them to be more bold in, in sharing the gospel? This is church life right here. Church means having a group of people whom you are seeking to stir up in love for God and serving others. That's a very different picture of church. Church means having a group of people who you are seeking to stir up in love for God and serving others. Now, this is a radically different picture of church. For some of you, this is going to be a massive paradigm shift from what you're used to thinking about. So just let the paradigm shift, okay? Let's let it happen. Because this is the word of God. We want to be a church that lets the word shape us and not our thinking shaping the word, right? This is God's word. This is the blueprint for church life. And so this is what he says church should be. Having a people that we are stirring them to love God more and, and serve others more. See, here's, here's the part of the problem. A lot of us think that people just grow on their own. That, that you stir yourself to love God and to serve other people. You stir yourself to love God and serve other people. And, and there is truth in that. You are called by God. You love God. You serve other people. That's true. But God also, in this passage, calls you to stir them to love God. He calls you to stir them to serve other people. So he calls you to think, how can I stir Sally to trust Jesus more? What can I do? Father, how can I do that? Or how can I stir George to, to read God's word more? What can I do to encourage George to get time in the word? What can I do to stir Jane to love her kids more or Bill to share the gospel more? So we're asking those questions. So picture it like this. I tried to think of an illustration. Church is kind of like a vegetable garden, okay? Some of you are zucchinis. Some of you are like tomatoes. Some of you are lettuce. Some of you are jalapenos, okay? Right? We kind of, kind of get the feel here. So church is like a vegetable garden, and God wants each vegetable to 
get all the water it needs so that they will rise up in loving God and in serving others. God wants water taken to every vegetable out here, okay, so that you will grow in loving God and loving other people. So vegetable garden, need water. So how does God bring us water? Here's all these happy vegetables out there, need water to grow, need water. How is God going to get water to all of us vegetables here at Mercy Hill Church? It's not mostly by setting pastors and elders up to be kind of a central sprinkling system. That's not how he does it. Now, pastors and elders, home group leaders are essential, but the Bible says that we are essential to train you to water the vegetables. We equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You get to do the ministry. So instead of one pastor like being kind of a sprinkler system, God has a drip irrigation system, and each of you are a part of that drip irrigation system. We're all out there. Did you know that? You are part of a drip irrigation system. God wants you to be part of a drip system which brings water to each individual plant. Okay, so here's a zucchini over here. How's this zucchini over here going to get water today? Through one of you. That's how the body of Christ works. Oh, there's a carrot back there. Looks a little dry. How's this carrot over here going to get water today? It's through us. Drip irrigation system, right? I don't know what, bloop, bloop, whatever you do. Okay, all right. That's how it works. Don't forget the jalapenos over here. Okay, very important. How's the jalapenos over here going to get water today? It's through one of you. So the leaders equip the saints for the work of being drip irrigation system. That's how all the vegetables in God's garden get all the water that we need. It's through you. You. So church means having a group of people whom you're seeking to stir in loving God and serving others. You know, there's a problem, though. We're not a very, we're not a big church. We're a small church, okay? But even this size group is way too big for you to look at them and say, okay, now how am I going to water? This is just too big. So that's why we've structured our church around smaller groups, home groups. Home group is the core of church life here because home group is a size that, that works for this. So here's my encouragement. Become part of a home group, or if you're part of a home group, then be, be part of a home group, okay? Ask the home group leader, how can I help? Start praying for the people. Get to know the people. Ask God, how can I stir up brothers and sisters in this group to love you more, Father? To love your Holy Son, Jesus, more? How can I stir them up to serve other people more? Maybe somebody needs to hear Psalm 1611 this week. Hey, listen, it's in God's presence that there's fullness of joy. You're going through a hard time. Oh, let me pray for you that he'll, he'll meet you and strengthen you. Maybe somebody needs to be encouraged in evangelism. Brother, be bold. Be bold in your neighborhood. How's it going? Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. Come on, let's do this thing. Maybe somebody needs to hear that. Maybe somebody needs help with budget or parenting or needs to be strengthened in their commitment to their marriage. The possibilities are endless. But so home group is really where it's, it's a manageable size group for us to be able to pursue this. Now think about this. What if every single one of us here at Mercy Hill Church, what if every single one of you had people thinking, how can we stir you in loving God? 
How can we stir you in serving others? What can I do to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you in loving God and in serving others? If every one of us had people asking that question about us, think of how much we'd grow in loving God. Think of how much we'd grow in serving others. This is awesome. Don't you love how God has created the church to function? Not an audience with a kind of big central, but irrigation drip system, bringing water right to you. Every plant being watered through the body functioning. Now, the author knows, though, that there's something that can keep this from happening. There's something that can get in the way of this from happening. What is it? What can get in the way? Very sobering words. Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. That's what gets in the way. What gets in the way is a habit of neglecting to meet together. A habit of neglecting to gather with your home group. A habit of neglecting to gather here Sunday mornings. Your home group's here. Other brothers and sisters are here. So what keeps this from happening is a a habit of neglecting to meet together. And I think one of the reasons, there's probably lots of reasons. You'll need to search your heart if you have that habit. But one of the reasons that we can neglect to meet together is because we don't understand how church functions. We think that we can neglect meeting and nothing will be affected. We think we cannot show up and business will go on usual. The show will just, you know, the show must go on. It'll still happen whether I'm there or not, whether you're there or not. We think that if we miss, it's just no big deal. Okay? But that's not true. Because you are part of God's drip irrigation system. Each of you are. Listen, if you're born again, through faith in Jesus Christ, and if God's called you to be part of Mercy Hill Church, maybe maybe you're here from out of town and he's called you to be part of some other church, so make the applications, but if you're born again through trusting Jesus Christ and you're part of Mercy Hill Church, then you are part of this drip irrigation system here. You are. You are. And he has plants he wants to water through you. And so if you have a habit of neglecting to meet, there's some zucchinis that are starting to shrivel up out there, right? There's some lettuce that are like, right? It's all opinions are saying, no, they're getting kind of mad because they're hot, right? right? Okay? So you are part of God's drip irrigation system. You are. This is so crucial. If you're born again by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ, there's some church near where you live where you're supposed to be part of that drip irrigation system. And if it's here, then it's here. And if you're not here, then you're not here. And there's plants that are, blah, okay? So that's why we tend sometimes to neglect to meet together. Now, there are times when we have to miss, right? You're out of town for work. You got to miss. It's vacation. You got to miss. You're sick, okay? You got to miss. There are times when we, when we have to miss. But think about this. Even at those times when you have to miss, the watering will not happen as well as if you had been there. Those zucchinis will not get as much water as they would have gotten had you been there. Those jalapenos won't get as much water as if you had been there. There are some times when that has to happen, and we trust God for those times. But don't ever think, 
It's never the case. To your knee at home this morning, you would know the difference. And if you're not there, it makes a difference. Now, again, sometimes that has to happen, and we, we trust God for that. But there's lots of times where that doesn't have to happen, right? Lots of times where that does not have to happen. We want to encourage you not to have a habit of neglecting to meet. So here's my challenge to you. You are part of God's drip irrigation system for the vegetables here. So if you are in town and you are healthy, gather with your home group. Be here Sunday mornings. Things will not be the same if you're not. Things will be less if you're not. So if you're in town, if you're healthy, not some kind of a legalistic way, but because you, you're part of the drip irrigation system, there's function here, there's meaning here. It's really important. So don't have in your mind as you're driving home after a long day of work thinking, should, should I go to home group tonight or not? No, 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 no. You're part of the drip irrigation system. Go. Okay, don't, don't ask if you should or not, because you know, I mean, I know how I am Wednesday afternoons. Doesn't this, isn't it strange? The night of home group doesn't happen to me on Tuesday nights or Thursdays or Fridays or Saturdays. I'm just so tired on Wednesdays. Oh, I'm tired. I, I'm just really tired for some reason tonight. Anybody else experience that? Okay, we got that demon's number. Okay, all right, anyway, so don't ask should I go or not? It's like, oh, I think of all kinds of reasons, okay? No, just go. Or Sunday mornings. Hun, should we go to church this morning or not? No, don't ask that. I mean, yes, we should go, but don't ask that, okay? The plants need water. You're part of the drip system, okay? Your brothers and sisters need you. They will not be as stirred in love for God or serving others if you aren't there. Do you realize how important you are to the functioning in the body of Christ? Oh, this is important to get. Do you see how different this is? We all need to go through significant unlearning about what church is, just because of our background and the Christian culture and the media, whatever. Don't neglect meeting together. So what should we do instead of neglecting meeting together? He tells us, verses 24 and 25, read those again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but here's what we should do instead, encouraging one another. So if we're not going to neglect meeting, what should we do? Now, you might think you would have said, instead of neglecting meeting, meet. And that's true, but he puts it much more strongly than that in a way that we really need to hear. He doesn't just say, don't neglect meeting, go to the meeting. He says, don't neglect meeting, but instead encourage each other. Because the purpose for the body of Christ when we gather, the reason we gather, is so that we can encourage each other. Mutual encouragement is the purpose for us gathering. One believer encouraging another. This believer encouraging this believer. This believer encouraging this believer. Mutual encouragement taking place. And I want to stress that again, because in our, in our church cultures, in, in this country, we tend to put way too much emphasis on the upfront leaders. And lots of people, maybe some of you, lots of people think 
that if you if you go to church and are led in worship and hear a message and go home and next week you go to church and you're led in worship and you hear a message and you go home and next week you you go to church and you are led in worship and you hear a message and go home and if that's all that happens you might think that you're experiencing church but you are not experiencing church now those are good okay worship's good sermons are good okay but that's not church sermons and worship will strengthen you so that you can give and receive encouragement from the body from other brothers and sisters so it's not just about coming and being led and listening and leaving it's as important as those are and as helpful as those can be that's not church life church life means you're part of a body you're giving and receiving encouragement the purpose for the church to gather is to be mutually encouraging each other so what are some ways that might happen we try to structure our gathering here, and you've noticed, so there's lots. We try to make this as participatory Sunday mornings as possible, and in our home groups, they're, they're fully that way. But you've noticed, we, we try to there be a lot of interaction because some of the, some of the uh, prayers you pray, like you, somebody over here may, 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 may share a spiritual gift during our worship time that somebody else over here, that's exactly the watering that they needed this day. Somebody else, you may stand up and just share a scripture that's been meaningful to you. And somebody else back over here, that's exactly what they needed for today. That, that's what they're walking away with. Jeremiah 32:40. Yes, thank you. Sermon was fine. But Jeremiah 32:40. Yes, okay. That's how it'll happen sometimes. It's the body functioning. Um, afterwards, maybe you pray for somebody who's in need of wisdom. And God just encourages them through your love and your listening. And you're, you're praying for them. You might... Just be talking to a brother and you're hearing that he's being tempted. You might just need to say, don't sin. Don't sin. Look at Jesus. He's worth it all. Don't sin. That's exactly what they needed to hear that day. But if, if you weren't here, okay, dripping, drooping. You may be encouraging a, a discouraged sister. Maybe at the home group you're saying, oh, listen, I know it looks bleak. God, though, has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He will keep his promises. You can trust him. He will never fail you. And, and you, a sister, encouraging another sister that way, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that powerful? The body of Christ working. That's how it is. So church is a group of people who are all involved in encouraging each other. But if we have a habit of neglecting to meet together, brothers and sisters will not receive the encouragement that God intended. As far as we're concerned, our conclusion is that God, that they will not receive the encouragement that God had intended for them if we, if we neglect to meet. Now, it's not easy, though, to meet. The author knows that. Back in that culture, the first readers of this letter, wasn't easy for them to meet. You know why it wasn't easy for them? Because if they met together, they risked losing their jobs because of persecution. They risked persecution, losing their jobs. They, they risked prison. The first readers of this letter, those are the kind of pressures that they faced to keep them from meeting. Some of them had succumbed to that, which is why the author says, as is the habit of some. So they suffered persecution. That's why it was hard for them to meet. We thankfully don't deal with those same problems. But we've got other problems, okay? You work long hours, all right? You've got lots of demands on you. You've got a long commute, okay? There's lots of reasons why we can think uh, we're not able to meet. And the author knows it's hard for his initial readers, and it's hard for us. 
So the author ends this little section by answering the question, why is this so crucial? And look at his answer. Read verses 24 and 25 again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love, love for God, good works, serving others, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And here's why this is so crucial. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's a big old reason. I love the reasons in the Bible. I hope when you read, you're looking for reasons. Because what the author wants is for us to ponder, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because if we will think about that reason and understand that reason, our motivation for meeting together will rise. So it's powerful to and crucial to ponder these reasons. What does that mean? All the more as you see the day drawing near. The day refers to the day at the end of history when Jesus Christ will return, bringing salvation, final salvation, to those who have persevered in faith and bringing judgment to to the rest. Final day. And we can see how that should motivate us if we read verses 26 and 27 with verses 24 and 25. Now, we're going to be covering verses 26 and 27 and the rest of that paragraph next week. But read 24 to 26 just to get a feel of what's he saying? What's this about the day drawing near? Start with verse 24 again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love, love for God and good works, serving others, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near for because if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. All the more as you see the day drawing near, for if we go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. So this has at least two implications here. One is that if we have a habit of neglecting to gather with God's people and we don't care about it and we don't care what Jesus says and I'm going to continue in this habit, then I am sinning deliberately. I'm going on sinning deliberately. Which, as we've seen in the theology of Hebrews, means if I continue with no change, that would show that I've never been saved to begin with, which is why there's no sacrifice for my sins when Jesus returns. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. So wake up. Let this shake you up. This is a very powerful reason. That's one reason, is that if we go on sinning deliberately by continuing this habit of not meeting, and we don't care, we don't change, it shows we're not trusting Jesus, we've never trusted Jesus, and there won't be a sacrifice for our sins. Second way this impacts us is that our brothers and sisters always face the danger of falling into, into sin. And if we don't encourage them, they could face that danger more. And God will use our encouragement to keep the brothers and sisters around us from going on in willful sin. God will keep our encouragement from, God will use our encouragement to keep our brothers and sisters from falling into willful sin, continuing in sin. Because if they do continue in willful sin, without any change, that would show that they've never been saved and they will face God's, God's judgment. Now, next week, I'm going to explain how that all fits in with eternal security. Okay? Lord willing. 
But for this morning, just let this stir you not to neglect meeting together. Do do you feel the, the weightiness of this passage? It doesn't get any heavier than this. We're talking about the day coming, whether there's going to be a sacrifice for my sins that God's going to recognize on that day, whether there's going to be a sacrifice for your sins that God's going to recognize on that day, whether there's going to be a sacrifice for your brothers and sisters' sins that's going to be recognized on that day. It doesn't get any more important than this. One of the ways God keeps your brothers and sisters from falling into sin is through your encouragement. So don't neglect meeting. Don't neglect meeting. I, I did want to open it up just for, see if there's any, any questions before we stand and I pray this. Are any, I like to open it up for questions sometimes in case something I said wasn't clear. So in other words, bring your thirsts as well as bring the water. Okay, so it's like if next Sunday, that's, thank you. If next Sunday you're thinking, oh man, I'm just so needy this morning. I'm not going to be of any good to anybody. I'm not going to come. Don't do that. Right. So bring your thirsts. Some weeks it'll be your thirst week. Other weeks it'll be your drip irrigation week. <laughs> Every analogy breaks down somewhere, but good point. Somebody else. And even as you're giving to somebody else, he's watering you. And it's just, it's, he will take care of it. Thank you. Okay, now, I just want to get a couple of questions out there. Wasn't that helpful to have these questions and comments come in? Really helped round things out. Let me pray this over us. Father, we want to be church the way you describe church in your word. Help us. We've got things to unlearn. We've got paradigms that need shifting. Let your word shape us, Lord. We want to consider how to stir up each other to love for you and serving others. We want to encourage each other. The day is sure and certain it's drawing near. So help us, Lord, I pray. Strengthen our fellowships, strengthen our home groups, strengthen our gathering here. Do a mighty work in us for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.